right, let's do this. Today, we're here with Aaron Irizarry. He is the head of servicing platform design at Capital One, the co-author of Discussing Design, Improving Communication and Collaboration Through Critique. Aaron uh, loves connecting with people through food, is a lover of heavy metal, awesome, and is a lifelong Dodgers fan. What's up, Aaron? Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm also here with, uh, with, with my guy, Tony. And uh, we're in the office, and we're together in a room. We're both vaccinated, and we're having an awesome time. Yeah, it's like the the old times. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks for having me, and congrats on getting your vaccinations. That's great. Thanks, man. So why don't you get get started? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got to where you're at and what you love and what keeps you up at night? Yeah, man. So uh, as you said, I'm uh, I'm leading the... uh, servicing platforms design work at Capital One. Basically, that's just a fancy way of saying like we build the tools that people use to build for our customers. So think of things that would fall into there as like design systems, um, you know, for like our intelligent and AI capabilities. We build interfaces that allows them to allow our, uh, our people working at Capital One to actually get proactive and like write answers uh, for customers, for our intelligent AI, you know, so that we can reduce call time. It's all kind of very in service of the people who are interfacing and building for our customers. And so it's kind of cool to be a little bit behind the curtain doing the work that helps our teams do the work. And that's, that's always kind of been a passion of mine. I've really enjoyed design when I'm doing things that are like in an enablement function. And so I kind of like the complexity of figuring out how to build things that allow the designers to focus on the little bit of the harder problems. Like I, I remember Dan Mall talking about design systems and talking about like there's a we eliminate some of that minutia of of the work so that you can focus either on the harder problem or have more time to focus on research because you know you have all your components and everything to build with so you can focus on solving the tougher problems. And so, yeah, that's where I am now. My journey to, uh, to Capital One is pretty much through the bio you read. Like I got into design by just playing in underground metal bands and they, so we needed a shirt and a you know, to date myself, that's when bands were starting to get websites. MySpace wasn't quite here yet. It was just around the, not too far after that. But so I just started designing and, and our label was like, here, you can use some of the software. Uh, don't bug the marketing dude too much, but he'll help you out. And I just, after that, I started enjoying it, fell in love and uh, kind of had a, like a light bulb moment uh, coming home from tour one day when other bands asked me to help with some design stuff. I was like, wait a minute, you could make money at this and actually you can probably make more money than touring in an underground metal band well i like both these things but i clearly see that one has to take the priority and so that just kind of launched me into design and uh just found myself working through the various aspects of where design was you know early on i was really into a lot of visual design doing a lot of flash stuff and then as time progressed i just naturally started getting into the why behind stuff fell into ux and uh, just kind of worked my way through organizations to kind of land at capital one did I hear you had you said you had a label? So like, should we be talking about your band? I mean, it, what what was the <laughs> no, band? What, okay, it was right. it was super low key band. Um, most people won't even know. Like, it was called Linkin Park, and so <laughs> even know who, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we were just some like uh, fun, you know, just a thrash band trying to do fun music and <laughs> give kids an outlet every weekend to go, you know, lose their minds for a little bit. That's awesome. That's super super awesome. So kind of, you know, dipping into what your passion is now, you know, with collaboration and critique, like looking back now, like 
was critique part of your process, your creative process early on? Or, you know, how does that, how did that factor in at that point? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was cause I was getting it. I wasn't liking it mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I was getting critiqued. That was like helping me. Right. So like I'd show some work and someone would be like, yeah, I don't know, man, I just don't really dig it. I'm like, uh, cool. So <laughs> what are my next steps to yeah. get you in a position to dig it? Like, I, I don't get, what does that mean? And then I would find things like, well, I think it should be this way. Cause I, this is what Apple does or I, you know, I, anybody sees some new thing they think it should be that and I'm like yeah but like what are we trying to build mm-hmm. is that relative to what we're trying to do and I just got to this point where like I wasn't getting feedback I even I was struggling giving people feedback like how do mm-hmm. I give someone feedback that helps them like get better at their work and uh, a good buddy of mine were kind of both thinking about this and talking about it and almost kind of complaining to the same person a, a, a mutual friend of ours Whitney S and she was like you know you guys already kind of know each other maybe stop talking to me and start talking to each other about this topic. And we, uh, at that time I was living in Southern California. Uh, my pal, Adam, my co-author lives up in Massachusetts. So we could not have been further apart. And we just got on at the time Skype and started chatting mm-hmm. and we we're like, Oh, let's do like a, a conference proposal. We'll do like a talk on this. Uh, and just see if this is something that resonates with other people. And that talk turned into a workshop, turned into a book turned into a bunch of more workshops and a bunch of other things. And I think that really started to emphasize to me at that point in time, which I wasn't even really aware, like there's so many other skills that should be in a designer's like toolbox or tool belt or whatever they have that are not dependent on, Oh, well, I'm really good at sketch or mm-hmm. I'm really good at Figma. Yeah. Those are all great, but like there's going to be skills that are crucial to your success that will transcend whatever new design trend there is or whatever new software we're using. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize critique was one of those. And so that's really got me really passionate about like, you know, wow, how do we help this? And so like today I left, finished a workshop for the product college at Capital One, which is about uh, just educational resources for all of our product managers, uh, giving them a workshop on how to give critique, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. what's the thing that designers always say? It's like, ah, I can't get good critique out of my partners. Yeah. So I have transitioned now and I'm giving that content to the people the designers have to partner with in a hopes to help bring them together a little better. So it's kind of how I got yeah. to that point with that. And now I've, I still do a lot of that, but now I've kind of turned my attention into like design leadership and what that means to build like the next group of designers and, and help them understand how to make their way in the, in the workplace. That's rad. I have another question kind of related to like that, that journey, because I, you know, I don't know if it's just me or I I think a lot of people respond the same way, but whenever they hear like, Oh, going into a critique or I'm being critiqued, like they tense up, right. It's like this like reaction that you have to it. So like, why, where does that come from? Like, why is it a negative connotation? Like, I just don't know where Um, that comes from. I think there's multiple aspects to that, right? Like first off, like, Anything you put your time into, especially if it's your craft, but also your job, like, yo, you're going to get a little protective of that, right? Like, that's my mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I put my, for a lot, you know, I don't know how many designers actually put blood, sweat, or tear, maybe the tears part <laughs> into, into anything, right? But like, we put a lot of effort and time into the things we're building and yeah. to then just put that out and say, okay, tear it apart. Wow. That's like, I start to feel like I'm being judged because that, that work is an output of me in some sense. 
I think the other side of that is a lot of us don't have any formal training around critique. Yeah, and the people yeah, yeah. who have come, in, uh, I go to events or I talk to people, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, when I was in either design school or art school, our professor like tried to break us down to prepare us for the real world. So they had no real examples of critique. It was like being harsh or being real critical so that they could get ready to have like thicker skin, which I want to say at some level I understand that, but like that's not teaching you how to talk about your work. It's not teaching you how to receive feedback in an objective and productive way. It's yeah. telling you that it's basically just telling you that people probably won't be nice to you. Yeah. Right. Which is not always and I think, true. It's not always true. Yeah. And I think that's where that comes in is that it's just like, Hey, you know, I, I've either experienced this in a pretty intense way or um, I'm, wow, this is me. Like think about all the different personalities and, and things we bring to the workplace. People are introverted. They're extroverted. They have different experiences. Mm-hmm. All that mm-hmm. comes to light when we put our work out for everybody to lend a critical eye to. Yeah, that's interesting. We had a, Tony and I were talking earlier. We, were, we thought we would talk to you about your thoughts on how you account, how teams can best account for those different personality types and a diversion and inclusion in it in like a team setting and how you can build best practices within the, in the team to, you know, have those, com- have the same kind of conversations using best practices, but, but be thinking about the, uh, the, the humans that are in the room and the, their different ways of interacting. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's usually like the crux of it, right? Because it has to be safe. It has to be a safe yeah. space where people yeah. can talk about their work. And that's not just the people who are presenting, right? Because some of the best uh, critiques that I've been a part of have a diverse audience, right? So there's design, engineering, product. Well, what are you building? Well, who's that for? Oh, that's going to be a platform we're building for our support team. Someone from support should be in there. Mm-hmm. That is, we're mm-hmm. building it for them. But the other side of that coin is maybe some of those people are thinking about the other side of this. They're like, oh, well, I'm not a designer. So who am I to tell them what to do? And they may feel a little timid or hesitant to offer feedback or their thoughts on something. And so the key to any of this to be successful, whether it's critique or any kind of meeting facilitation, is like setting up that environment where everyone understands this is a safe space Mm. to share your mind, to Mm -hmm. talk openly, candidly, but productively. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a lot of education that comes with that. There's there's a level of reinforcement, too. Right. Like is when I'm in these sessions, I watch for that stuff. I look for, hey, man, I can see the dynamic of what's happening here. And then I interject my needs like, hey, I see where you're coming from critique. Let's back that up and approach that a different way. You know, because even if we try to do all the right things, you know, sometimes people are challenging. So we got to face that aspect, too. And so it's really about creating that place where everyone feels like they belong. And that even if their opinion isn't taken or their suggestion isn't taken, we value hearing from them. Mm-hmm. Can you break down what, I mean, in a nutshell, like what you think the core best practices are for a good critique? A good well, so I, I think, yeah, I think first and foremost, it has to be a dialogue, right? Like what a, a lot of where critique falls down is one, we just get everybody into a room and like hash it out. Mm-hmm. We don't say, hey, we're going to get this body work in front of you all because we want to get some feedback. And so to be successful doing that, one, we got to set a few ground rules. Here's how we want to approach the session to achieve the goals we want to achieve. And then here's how we want to engage in that session. And so mm, some of the, like, yeah. the rules that I've, that I've put in is like, hey, let's try to avoid problem solving because we're kind of just like in gathering info right now. Because critique is in a kind of like research in the sense that like, 
I'm putting some work out there to gather information to make sure that it's on track, right? And so there needs to be that openness to be able to do that. So let's try to avoid problem solving. Uh, everyone's voice is equal. We always just blatantly state and try to make sure that everyone understands that. Like, yes, there's going to be varying levels in a room, junior to senior, but everyone's voice is equal here. And everyone should be a critic, right? Everyone should contribute to the conversation. And to help people feel comfortable doing that, it's up to us to let them know that, like, even if you're not a designer, your voice is very valuable. Critique isn't something that's owned by design. Because honestly, if you want to improve anything, you can critique it. So that could be a business plan. That could be a research script. It doesn't have to be design, right? Mm -hmm. So we try to break down those barriers so everyone feels comfortable contributing. And then we try to use just facilitation techniques. How do we, you know, and this is really upon the designers and those running the critique, like what can you do to help people understand how to engage in this moment? So it's like, hey, what I try to do is like before the critique, here's what we're doing, here's what we're gonna review in the meeting, and here's how it's gonna be facilitated. The facilitator is going to ask each of you to share something. And whether it's like a lens-based approach where you're like, hey, I want everybody right now, we're going to go around the room and state one concern. Or, mm -hmm. hey, one thing you think is working. Okay, now everybody go around the room and have a question, right? Mm -hmm. But right. it's it's really any structure you can introduce. It's kind of like design in the fact that like we say we don't want constraints, but when we have them, we kind of can really thrive in the <laughs> yeah, work. It's, yeah. that, it's that same thing in the conversation. Yeah. We provide these kind of constraints and how to work so that people know how to contribute into that template for the conversation. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand. And, and I, I align with that on, on a multitude of levels. The little bit of structure, the little bit of process can go such a long way. So I completely understand Whenever you're in those moments and encouraging, I know, I know that it's all a lot, a lot of related to expectation setting and creating a safe space, but how do you be authentic without being a jerk in those moments? Like being candid, like being candid and open, honest, transparent is, is something that everybody can do, but it, everybody's kind of language is a little bit different. So how, how are yeah. we able to train our minds to be respective, but truthful? Yeah. I mean, that's, I am constantly, you know, I love the book Radical Candor. I think it's uh, been I recommended that helpful. just yesterday. Yeah. Great yeah. book. But that is also not a license to be like an asshole either, right? Like, sorry, you can strike that from the record if you need. Um, What's wrong with asshole? Like, uh, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, you know, just being sure, just covering my bases here. Like, um, no, but like, that's the thing that we want to encourage. And, and so what I've found is that like, it's totally okay to be explicit in what you expect from the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes if we, we worry that we're going to be making demands, but mm -hmm. I will start a session and be like, Hey, just so we know, we're going to be reviewing some work and collecting feedback. You know, our, our hope is that each of you engages and gives us insights that will help us refine this design and, and get it across the finish line the way we want or towards that finish line, depending on where we are in the process. Uh, and so my encouragement to you all is that you're candid and open, but in mm -hmm. a productive way. Yeah. Right. Like what it all because critique really comes down to intent. It's like, why am I giving critique or on the other side? Why am I asking for it? Right. So it's like, yeah. will what you're about to say contribute to reaching that positive outcome? If not, save it for later. Right. Like have a side conversation or something. But like critique's not about ego. It's one of the it, which is the why most people don't like critique is because it always ends up being about ego. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
I, I worked at a tech company once and it was the first time that I was outside of my own like environment where I ran the critiques in, in working in house where the head of design ran critiques. And I remember that first week they're like, you, you got to come and everyone presents their work. It's not really the ego thing. It's a little bit more about the, the earlier question you asked. Like I was scared to death, right? Because I felt like mm-hmm. I, w- I was brand new to that, that team. And I didn't know like, it, am I proving my value in this meeting? Like, like what am I supposed to be presenting? Right? Like there was no guidelines necessarily. It was just like, you know, you, you just, we just round Robin, like you just fire these things out. But I think it was, it was kind of challenging. And, and like it, when the, the teams are distributed, so it was kind of hard to know at first whether like what, you know, what that was for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a big challenge, right? Like, and that's what I think so much of where critique falls down is just people not being sure like, what's my role in this? Like, do you want me to give me feedback? Cool. Like, well, uh, it looks pretty cool, man. Right. Like, what do you want from me? Right. And right. that's, and, that's, and then what people are kind of surprised to find out is like, oh, that's where critique falls down. Right. Yeah. Or do, in the same way we think about design process and the work we do leading up to actually building. Oftentimes, if we go short on some of that stuff, whether it's research or planning or whatever, we get halfway through the design. And we're like, oh, we missed because we didn't spend time there. And I think it's that's where being explicit is so key. Like, hey, you're going to be in this meeting and here's here's what I'm thinking about how you engage. And what I've tried to do is set up an environment where critique is solely about what we're trying to accomplish. So I remove, let's, let's take it out of the people. It doesn't matter whose work it is or who's presenting. Let's focus more so on, okay, so what are our goals? We know that we're building this workflow or this app for this purpose. Uh, based on where we're seeing the designs now, are we on the right path? Right. Why or why not, right? And, and what really, you know what sucks about that is what ends up happening so much of the time because critique is tied to critical thinking. We just make a list, right? And then our poor designers become shorter chefs of like, cool, here's a list of changes. Go make those. That's not a dialogue. Like right. you're telling me to give you, you want a cheeseburger, fries on the side, no tomatoes, um, extra whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, there's no, there's nothing in that for me. So what we try to think about is like, what's the outcome we're pushing towards? Are we getting there? And it's super important to highlight the things that are working too, right? Like actually, you yeah. know what? If we're looking at this, you know, I work at a, you know, Capital One. So it's like, oh, if we're trying to help customers make better decisions about purchases based on their balance, why the heck is the balance like muddled in all this other information mm-hmm. further down the page? Ah, mm-hmm. no, that, so, ah, so the designer then has like, actually, that's a great point. I can rethink this. You know, th- there needs to be that kind of dialogue around it that helps them understand that as opposed to just like, well, yeah, that works. This is in line. Get people thinking about the why. Get thinking about, about what we're trying to accomplish as an org. And then when people do that, one, your designers don't feel as like they're the ones being judged. The people giving feedback, because whether we truly believe it or not, there are some pretty damn nice people in this world. And they don't <laughs> want to hurt somebody's feelings when they're giving them feedback because they know they worked hard on it. Yeah. So we're creating that neutral space where it becomes about the product and the goals we're trying to achieve, not about opinion of the people who are involved in the work. It, it, it pushes it back towards progress. Yeah. Really, yeah. Versus, and that's where the the collaboration aspect comes in, and mm-hmm. that's that's where I was trying to connect the dots. Because apologies, I haven't I haven't quite read your book yet, but I, I I hope to soon. That's 
That's right? quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> but like communication and critique, I get the relationship and collaboration and the, and critique. I was kind of trying to connect the dots and the way you just put that kind of summed it up really nicely in the fact that critique is just a means of, of making progress together. Um, yeah. Everything. It, you get critique every day. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. got a life, you got a life partner. They're going to tell you when something ain't working. You got a kids. They're going to be mad at you at some point. You got a friend, a business partner. You, Somebody honks it's at a you. natural part. Yeah. It's a natural part of everything to get feedback. So how do we tap into that and use it to progress our work in a really effective and efficient way? Right. Are emotions okay to bring into that room? Because emotions kind of kind of can potentially get out of whack sometimes, right? So the easiest way, like I've always said, and I've, I've had friends or acquaintances that have disagreements, I'm like, okay, well, remove your emotions out of it and just look at things objectively, and you could probably solve it really easily. Yeah. So in order to create an inclusive environment, I would never tell anyone not to bring their emotions because yeah, then right. I'm asking them not to bring themselves to the conversation. Mm, exactly, exactly. But to your point exactly, Tony, is it's like, hey – totally get that like let's i get how you're feeling i see that let's pull back a sec and let's look at what we're trying to accomplish here and not let you know like let's let's keep it objective so that doesn't like come into the conversation in a way that's counterproductive or so that someone doesn't feel like they're hey this is important to me there's a level of emotion attached to it you're not seeing that um but you're right that you you want to keep it as objective as possible I don't. I don't know if this this conversation is making me think about a new tactic that one of my leadership coaches has been helping me and my business partner, who's also my wife and our managing director, have better leadership meetings. And it's a it's about bringing emotion in, but from the, the way you feel about it. Like so, for example, mm-hmm. if you know, like if you know you're trying to make a decision, right? Like, does this business decision make sense, or does this user flow achieve this goal, right? This tactic that we started using is you 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 open the conversation with what you're about to talk about and you go around the room and you say what your fear is. That way you've been open and honest about how like you're not you're not attacking the idea, but you're just saying, Oh, my you know, like you don't say like, Well, I don't I don't think that's a good design. You just say, Well, my fear it might be that this may not, you know, uh, achieve these business your, goals your as gut, we've already reaction is... uh, agreed to or something like that without attacking yeah. that person's like professionalism or their own ideas. I don't, I don't know if that kind of thing works in a design critique. I've never tried it. It but. does. It does. Uh, there's a, there's a book by Edward de Bono called the six thinking hats and it's a lens based approach to discussions and problem solving. Now it's not about critique. It was, it's an, it's an Eastern like methodology and way of like mindset and way of thinking where you choose and they, they use hats in, in there, but I kind of like the idea of lenses and like, there's different color hats and each one represents a different way of steering and facilitating the conversation. And one of them is what is our emotional response to what's happening in this conversation right now about this decision we're going to make. And someone can say, I'm really worried that if this happens, this is not going to work. Right. And they give space for that, but it's in a context of that. And I think, you know, there, there is like what I encourage my designers to do. And the first few times they kind of looked at me like, yeah, buddy, you're you're kind of crazy. Is like, <laughs> let the crew know what you're worried about. Uh, so if I was here with the two of you, we're going to do this podcast, I would start by saying, hey, I'm so happy to be here, guys. I just want you both to know I'm feeling a lot of anxiety right now. I haven't done a podcast in a while, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure I might F this up. <laughs> and then you know instantly where I stand. And 
which is kind of crazy. This is not stuff we do in big companies, right? It's no. not like this. And then, um, and then I would say, well, I'm, I'm worried that I won't know how to use the gear or that my hard drive might be full and, and I'll make you wait on me for five minutes. Yeah. And we level the playing field. Right. Yeah. And, it, and actually it all was it. We we ended up talking about really cool stuff in the meantime. Like, see, there's like that. There's that thing where when we bring a level of humanity to this stuff, we remember why we're doing it. And I think that applies way outside of critique into many other things. But like, yes, it's a part of the process. We need to refine our work. We need to make sure we're meeting our goals. But in the end, like it's humans driving the work. Mm-hmm. So we have to approach this in a human way. I'm definitely not an expert in this area. Um, I do try to make sure that I know why I'm, if I'm in a re- meeting to review something, I understand why that way I, I can guide my, my feedback the right way. But my observation of des- just designers in general through my career is that I think the majority of designers that I know are just scared to give feedback mm-hmm. in, in whatever way. Cause I just think they're, you know, I think designers are, are mostly very empathetic and they're worried, you know, like I think people are worried about hurting other people's feelings and, and I've, I've seen, you know, discussions that probably should have happened, not just not happen at all, even without ego. Like I, you know, like maybe, maybe that's why I guess what I'm saying is earlier you said that you bring in facilitated topics to guide the conversation. Like, well, you know, like you bring something up, like, like a facilitator were in a workshop that to me seems to be a great way to like, we'll, we'll have a, ha, have a process in general, but also like if there's nothing being said to find, to steer the conversation. So you get some kind of feedback uh, instead of just a bunch of designers, you know, sitting in a room and like not saying, hey, saying anything at yeah, all. It looks cool. Yeah. That right. looks cool, man. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, too. Yeah. There's it's again, it's, this is such a human thing. And we're putting our work there to be reviewed. And so people don't want to hurt others' feelings. Also, people don't want to be wrong. So what if I gave some feedback and you're like, actually, it doesn't, that's not really how this works. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, shit. Well, now I'm the dummy in the room. <laughs> but yeah, there's I just certain say, words that are dangerous, right? Like, that's wrong. You know, like, yeah. that's yeah. dangerous. So so I am like, dude, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to be the dummy in the room nine times out of ten on purpose. Like, I'm just going to be what I am because... The more time I'm effing around trying to figure out what everyone's thinking and doing and saying the right thing, I'm wasting time to getting to the core of what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that's tough because there's a lot, of, a lot of environments that really encourage that in companies. And so it's challenging to try to push for that kind of stuff. You know, it's uh, one of the things I've really tried to do, encourage people to do is to start small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a good example is like, say, both of you were working on something. Well, why don't you all just catch up at the end of every day for 30 minutes over an IPA or something and talk about what you were working on that day and give each other some feedback in a casual conversational way. Mm-hmm. And then you start doing that as a couple designers, then you bring in your product partner. You know, give them an IPA, start talking about this stuff. Then bring in your engineering partner. Then pretty soon you've got a quad of design or you know, a trio of design, engineering and product who've gotten used to talking about their work together and giving each other feedback in a very conversational way. And now you've started to establish the groundworks for a practice that you can start to bring more and more people into. That's a really cool yeah. idea. It's trust. It's yeah. A, it's a trust tree that yeah. you're not going to... It's trust. Yeah. yeah, it's trust. Yeah. It's been years since I've you know worked on design, but it's similar to the way I think about business development. You know, like there, yep. There's a reason why people get together for coffee and meals, have a meal together, right? To have a drink together. Yeah. It's to build that 
trust with each other to be able to do business or be able to work together. I think that's, I think it's cool, you know? Yeah, it's huge. And I think that's massive at the leadership level, like the leadership groups in, in organizations or agencies or wherever should be finding out what it is they need to do to model what partnership they want and then set that expectation for the levels of leadership, the layers and spans below them. Because oftentimes, like with me, I'm sitting with my VP of product, my VP of engineering and of delivery, and we're not in the day-to-day. Like you said, like I'm not, man, I haven't pushed a pixel in Lord knows how long, right? And like, unless you consider like making decks, pushing pixels, right? Like, you know, it's like, I haven't done that, but what I'm doing and I have these conversations if if, the, if my leaders and I that I partner with in my cross-functional teams and my partners can determine how we want to support each other and work together and then communicate that out to our teams, hey, this is how we're all going to commit to support each other to achieve our goals. And our expectation is that you find what this looks like in your context as we work down the layers of uh, and spans of how we do the work. You can set a culture and you can set an environment that starts to open up to these kinds of things that breeds better conversations. And so the critique and the feedback flows naturally uh, and it doesn't have to be centered in very specific settings. It just becomes a part of who you are mm. as an organization. Feedback is freely exchanged in a positive intent. And sometimes it's not and, you know, nothing's ever perfect. But if the environment is set by that, by the leaders, then it's going to start to cascade down because the leaders set the tone. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's right on the money because uh, I was reading something a while back about uh, company culture and it says that, you know, this, I can't remember what it was that I was reading, but it was like the, the culture is often set by one people or one group of people. And if it's set at the top down like that, like you're saying, then yeah, the cascade makes sense and people will get on board if, if leadership is, is respecting the, the art of feedback. Yeah. And just communication in general, right? Like how do we get that thinking there? We're going to communicate in a certain way. And if we can communicate that way in the majority of our meetings, when we get to critique, there's already going to be a little bit of understanding there. There's already going to be a way we work that brings itself into that session that helps make it more productive. Just being honest, I've always been scared to set parameters for critique just because I feel unqualified to do so because I, it's because it's been years since I've been a practicing designer. I kind of wish there was a, you know, bottom up approach for that. You know, like understand that, leadership set the culture and all that sort of stuff but i don't know it's been something that i've i always think about like there's been like something on my list for years now task in asana that says like you know rethink fun sizes critique methods and i never mm-hmm. act on it just because i feel like oh if i try to do this like and i get it wrong boy <laughs> am i gonna look like an asshole and look like a dum-dum <laughs> yeah yeah, well, you'll probably get it wrong. We all do yeah. over and over again until we get it right, right? And like if we if we get it, we have to get it wrong a few times to get it right. And I also think though, there's a way to do that where like, hey, are we going to think more about how we communicate as a company, or are we going to think about how our meetings work? Oh, it just so happens that critique is a part of that, mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. going to speak to that as a part of a larger initiative to make sure that we are communicating, collaborating in the right ways. Critique is a part of that, and it doesn't have to be. You know, you think about your role as a business leader, like you are pushing for certain outcomes and objectives, right? How we critique is a part of that. So you can then be saying, hey, yeah, 
you all know, I haven't been pushing pixels in a minute, but here's what I do know, is that if we have good structure and framework in place for how we talk about our work, we're all going to be more successful. And as your leader, I want to ena- help enable that. And then invite that partnership, invite that feedback from them, and then, and then co-create what that needs to be with you being that ultimate driver of like, this is what we need to achieve. So yes, we're all collaborating to refine this process, but... You know, I want to make sure that it's tied to our goals, tied to the outcomes we set that we want to achieve. So, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. We were wondering also, like, what it's like with you know, especially in big companies like yours at Capital One, when when you know, there's a lot of new people coming in, and then of course, then there's the old guard, right, and the new people. How yeah. these, how new people are onboarded and trained, and how like Capital One design does critiques and then how that might vary team to team. You might have answered that earlier if you were if if I understood what you're saying is correct that you sort of set the agenda at each critique, right? You you say yeah. what's going to happen. Um but I yeah, I was kind of curious about how maybe people that don't do that like when people are being onboarded what what are some ways to train, you know, thoughts on training designers when they're going through on onboarding. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a part of like you're you're right in the onboarding that's a great way to do that at capital one we have a large design organization and so depending on how they're working who they're partnering with uh at the local level there's going to be some context that means they all might do it just slightly differently as long as it's built from the same foundation that's what really matters and i think when we onboard people you know in our local groups that's a chance we have to tell them like hey you know here's the tools we use. Here's where you find this. Here's our meeting cadence. Hey, also we meet regularly for critiques and this is what critique looks like for us. And so here's, you know, how you can plug into that. And so I think the onboarding, that's a, that's a great way to approach that. And even, you know, maybe be mindful of the fact that people are coming in new and some of them might just want to observe a little bit at first. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and just listen to the critiques and listen to how the team talks about it, even if it's not their work, right? Or maybe it's a, a partner group doing it. Give them that opportunity to firsthand see how the critiques go and then figure out what that engagement looks like for them. Yeah, I was. you just kind of sparked something in me of, of other people that come in from other organizations that may have learned a different language of feedback. And it, takes a, it probably takes a minute to adjust to a different style. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things we try to do is how do we involve our partners, right? Like how do we get our product and engineering partners a part of these critiques and, and showing that it's a collaborative thing? Because what I, what I often worry about is that design at times can feel like it owns critique. So the designers all critique together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they go show the work to the partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if we bring the partners in, it's a more open conversation and we reduce design debt. We reduce a lot of these things because we're not like, Oh, well, we all talked as designers and thought this was great. Now you want this revision. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's collaborative, which also builds, that's it. Come back to the trust thing that builds trust with the cross-functional partners and what you're trying to build with them. So, um, and I think that, I think that the, the, the dividends are super quick whenever a, a narrative changes like that and a, and a process changes yeah. like that. When you start to include those other partners and those other folks into the room, they're like, well, you, you do actually care what I have to say. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be part of this process. Like I want to be part of this, this, this thing we're doing. And then, and then it starts to pick up pace and people are really surprised at how quick start things can, uh, can change at that point. Yeah. We had some groups 
but for a while there, a group in Capital One, one of the groups I was working in, we had a couple of groups that were tasked with building something but didn't have budget and there wasn't enough designers. And so I said, well, hey, here's our design system. Get your ideas together. Here's some best practices. And then come to critique and let design support you. And they're like, whoa, whoa. As a product <laughs> owner, I'm not about to like try to design something and then go put it in front of a bunch of designers. And I was like, nah, that's not how that works. Come on, hang out. Let's do this. And we were able to build those relationships. And they, and they, they came and, and the, you know, the designers, we set the expectation like, hey, you know, you're, you're, uh, you got a product owner coming in who worked on something. Let's be mindful of that. And so we really just tried to create that collaborative environment where even non-designers felt welcome to contribute. That's really awesome. Um, I've n- I've never worked in in house in a big company. In you know, mostly most of my career has been on the consultancy side. So you're, you know, working with cross functional teams is re- required. It's really it's got to be really awesome when when PMs or engineers like want to be a part of that, or or, or or would go to like do what you suggested. Like you know, mm-hmm. let's get your ideas together using the system that design has created, and then we'll help you. We'll help we'll help support you to you staff your team. But what, like, what can designers do or navigate the situation when cross-functional partners refuse to be involved in the process? Like, don't want to come cr- to critiques, don't want to come to design reviews. Um, or attend, but are not uh, contributing. Right. Or, or contribute the wrong way mm-hmm. consistently. Yeah. 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 You know, that's yeah. a big challenge. And that's probably a reality for a lot of folks. Um one of the things I, I say there is, one, who's your leader, your design leader, and how are they supporting that? How are they going and advocating that this is important and using their relationships with their partners to encourage that? Other things I've done, especially when you know someone's not productive in a meeting, is I'll try to talk to them one-on-one about the work. Like, hey, we're going to be reviewing this in a critique. I know you're busy. You've got a lot going on. So maybe you and I just chat real quick first kind of give them what would almost feel like a VIP treatment, mm-hmm. talk to them. And then sometimes they're like, hey, I don't even got to come to that meeting because I, you know, I, I already got everything I need with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot to be done with the education around this stuff. And it's it's finding who is willing to contribute and is engaged and then helping them, working with them to help others understand the value. And sometimes it's a slow piece by piece bit but if we can spend a little time on the education side, showing the value of it, even taking it to the context of, oh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna pilot this idea, right? And then show some results. And then does that help them understand it better and work to gain that trust? I would also say it's worth, you know, depending on who's engaging with them, figuring out what their hangup is. What are you worried about? Is this one more meeting in your day and you just can't have another meeting? Awesome. We'll find a way to work around that. You don't think it's productive? Tell us why you're worried this isn't productive and let us share some ideas why we think it is. And then let's mix and match and and come to a common ground there. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, that's challenging and it takes some work, but it can be done. Yeah. I like your idea of like, you know, Hey, let's just try this and, and, um, you know, see how this works or let's try this differently for a minute. Like I think when, when people phrase things like that, it makes it easier for people like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's change the format for a couple of weeks and let's, let's see what happens or yeah. let's, yeah, like I'll invest an hour a week. Let's see what happens. Right. We, instead of asking, making someone feel like they're committing to something that like can't be changed. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. that goes along. What would they like to? What, what would they like to see in it? Hey, if we're going to do this thing, we review the work and get feedback. Like, what would you hope to see? And even try to implement some of their suggestions if it's if it's feasible, right? Because mm. then now they have a little bit of ownership, and they they want to like be engaged because they've seen that you heard them and you're trying to find this middle ground with them. And I think that that tends to help like loosen up that tension around like, well, why are we doing this? Oh, I have to be yeah. to another meeting. Some of that stuff we face. Mm-hmm. I think you're kind of known as being the critique guy. I think um, what else in the, what are, what are some other things that you're interested in, in, in design or, or outside of design that makes you who you are? I mean, right now I'm, as far as like on the design side of things, I've, I've shipped, I mean, critique is always something I'm always going to be passionate about and kind of just like I'm thinking of, um, and kind of championing, but for me too, lately over probably the last, probably six or seven years, design leadership has been something that's really interesting to me. And, you know, this practice of ours keeps evolving and changing and like, now we're talking about things like design leadership. Mm-hmm. Before mm-hmm. it was just like, hey, look, you can build websites with no tables by using CSS, right? Like <laughs> we went from like all the ways to do what we do to now like how do we continue to invest in people doing these things in a way that makes them successful? Mm-hmm. And so design leadership has been very interesting to me. Um, outside, of, outside of design, um, I mean, I'm always, got, I'm always interested in music. Music's always going to be like, have a massive, easily take like three quarters of my heart will always be music mm-hmm. um, just because I like it and I enjoy listening to it. I just love the process. Um, I've, I've been on a personal mission lately to try to find things to watch, listen to, or read that are outside of design but can serve as a source of inspiration for me because sometimes it can become an echo chamber. Mm, yeah. Or, you know, back in the day, uh, when I was designing, I always look at these gallery sites of like the, all the best CSS sites. And I would go look at those and who's designing what and what techniques are they using. And that was really interesting. And now I'm like, I want to learn more about people's craft and their thought process and how and why they approach their work the way they do. Mm-hmm. And that's opened up a whole new world of content to me, whether it's filmmakers, musicians, chefs, things like that. I'm like, oh, it's super interesting to hear your process. Like I was reading and had a discussion with one of my colleagues at work about uh, they're a designer and they used to be an editor of like for a publication. So they would help, you know, the, the folks, the authors writing edit, and they had to bring a level of objectivity to the work because it was about editing the work. And I was like, Whoa, how could you bring that to your design work? How could you bring that objective mindset to your work? It's like, we have a goal that this thing needs to be published and you know, there's a way you think it should be done. But maybe that's not the way the person's doing it, but it's still on the right track. So how do you learn to bring that editorial objectivity into your work? And I've been trying to think of different ways and explore different things to bring into my process that are wouldn't traditionally just be considered like design related, right? Like I don't read as many design books as I used to. Right now I'm reading just like, to be honest, I read a lot of like bios of musicians and just like weird shit like that. But I just always like learning people's process. And that's super interesting to me, like how someone approaches something, why it's important to them. Um, especially when I think about cooking and like this experience of everything when someone can create an experience, whether it's in a restaurant or at like something like a food truck or some kind of event where it's like this end to end experience, it's like a service design project mm-hmm. centered mm-hmm. around food, which I don't, I'm not sure there can be anything better than that. But like, 
How do we think about what you want? You want them to see something because you know they're going to taste something while they hear something. And mm-hmm. like, wow, that stuff's just super interesting to me. So I've just spent a lot of time just like doing that kind of crazy stuff uh, to like keep myself because I I'm kind of messed up in the sense that like a hobby became my job. Mm-hmm. And so then when someone asked me what my hobbies were, I was like, oh, I'm a designer. They're like, yeah, I know that's just you for work. And I was like, <laughs> oh, crap. I better find some hobbies. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's awesome. I, I think that the, the, the chef or, or cooking uh, food perspective is so true. I think that uh, it's all, it's all connected and it's, it's and the greats that do it. You, uh, you remember it. I think that that's, you remember, uh, the way something makes you feel and mm-hmm. sh- chefs and, and or artists in their own right for, for making mm-hmm. you feel lots of things. You know, it's interesting. Like a number of years ago when I was doing design, I was doing design, whether it was like I used to work at HP or I worked at IGN and I was doing like game content. And then I thought, oh, if I go into finance, like I'm helping, right? I'm helping people better understand how to make sense of and use their money. And then now we're in the world that's now. And I'm like, whoa, what does design for good mean now? And I'm looking for those places and who's using the lens and the tools and the things that we use as designers to find better. And there's some like, really cool companies out there. I think it's like Creative Action Lab is doing some great stuff. Um, there's just a lot, if you look for it, there's a lot of really cool initiatives where people are using the things we do day to day to better things. And I think that's something I've started to get really interested in because, um, again, like at the end of the day, software is software, right? Like how long is that going to last? Like we're doing, a, you know, think about us so long ago, we look at the trends and what technology has done and where we're going now, and it continues to evolve. We're we're trying to talk about like self-driving cars, and and like you know AI and bots and where everything's going. And it's like, are we being mindful of what that means? One, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two, are we being mindful enough to ensure that when it's implemented, one, it's just not causing harm, mm-hmm. uh, let alone. Are we trying to put it in a position to have positive impact around us? And so that's some of the other stuff I've been trying to think of. You know, I got just watching over the last year the dumpster fire that has been 2020 <laughs> going into 2021. Maybe it's a bucket fire now. I don't know. Yeah. Every time I feel like the fire is going down, it flares up we're again. Still, Who knows? We're still on fire. And I want to see, you know, what is, where does, what is design's responsibility for equitable outcomes? Right. That's something I've been trying to think about a lot um, and challenged him because that's not something I normally would think about because I'm mm-hmm. sitting here doing my job at a big company, hanging with my family, doing my own thing. Like that's that's good living. Like, well, OK, wait a minute. Where's my responsibility in this to think differently? Mm-hmm. appreciate you uh, sharing that and making time out of your evening. I know it's a little bit later where you're at to chat with us. And <laughs> yeah, it was really cool listening to you talk at the design leadership conference. And I appreciate you being willingness to come out and do this. Um, hope to meet you uh, in person sometime soon. Heck yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be that'd fantastic. Be really, yeah. And uh, if you, if you can maybe give bill some hell for me. Uh, oh, dude, daily, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bill, you know, bill just got a Peloton too. He's, he's joined the uh, Peloton cult with me. So, 
Um, if you can imagine him with his hat flat and sideways riding a bike, then then that's that's real. Awesome. Why don't you tell people where they can uh, learn about your your book and your workshops and your writings and whatnots? Yeah, I mean, most of it. I mean, you know, discussing design is the name of the book. You can find it on Amazon or, or pretty much you know any place that's selling books. Um, I usually an easy way to find me is it on Twitter, just at Aaron I or on Instagram at Aaron I two six eight. Like I am usually posting or talking about this kind of stuff in those forums in some way, shape, or form. Or if I'm doing something or thinking about content, I'll post it and share it to those outlets. Um, and I encourage people to like, if they heard anything in this conversation, they're like, dude, you're full of it. Or, Hey, actually I have a question about that. Or, Oh, thanks. That helped. Like shoot me a note. I, I liked, I love, especially now more than ever when we're kind of con- feeling a little bit confined. I love connecting with the broader community and just like hearing people's stories. So I'd encourage them to use those forums to reach out. Awesome, All right. Awesome. Man. Thank you so much for your time really stoked on this conversation and i feel like i personally had a lot to take away from it so me too uh, yeah i feel very grateful and appreciative man thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll we'll see you next time awesome thanks everyone hustle is brought to you by Funsize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities evolve popular products bring new businesses to market and prepare for the future Learn more at funsize.co. I'm Edgar Briseño, a design lead at Funsize. Thanks for listening to Hustle and be on the lookout for our next episode.